What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? This is your co-host Ridge, back with a little podcast epi around the, well, before the Christmas time. Back and better than ever. It's just over here as well. Uh, we got a little mid-December pod coming at you. Um, straight away from a little bit of the weekly pod uh, format here this season, but I'm really excited to be back. It's been absolute madness. Uh, there's really nothing going on in either of our lives at this moment besides Premier League. So um, I'm very excited to, to dive into it and uh, and talk a little footy today. Yeah, speak for yourself there, Chess. But um, okay. yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's all right. It's, I know what you do in your free time. It's definitely good to be. It's definitely good to be back, as we'll say. Um, it's good to be back. Um, but no, it, obviously, there's the the games are coming thick and fast here over the holidays. So whether you're playing fantasy Premier League, shout out to the Ridgeway Fantasy Prem, um, both Prem and Championship. Shout out uh, Janae Ridgeway in the Championship, and. Um, whether you're playing fantasy prem or you're just kind of watching casually over the holidays, hopefully you're not working too hard. You'll be able to kick back, relax, consume some excellent content from just goes to show and watch a lot of these games. Um, and holy shit right now, Chiss, these games are good. Is so, this the most competitive prem season ever? Question mark. It is. And I'll give you some numbers to back that up, but I was just going to say, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, over the holidays and footy, and it is December 14th as we record this, and you and I were just going through the numbers. There's only six days left in 2020 without Premier League action, uh, and most of those come like right around Christmas. So it's going to be pretty awesome. Anytime you you have free time, there's probably going to be some footy on. Um, and, yeah, I, that's the thing. So this season has been insanely competitive, and I think the best part about that is it makes every game a little bit more important and a little bit more interesting to watch as a neutral um, mm-hmm. on some of these. But... I've got some numbers to, to kind of back up the craziness of this season. Are you ready for them? Yeah, hit me. Okay, first off. So last weekend's games, uh, that was the first round of weekend games in the last 12 years that Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, and Liverpool all failed to win. All those big six clubs, none of them came away with three points this weekend. Another wow. fact here. Just eight points separate the top 13 sides in the Premier League here. That is the most congested top half in Premier League history through 12 games. Eight points between the top 13 sides. Lastly, both Tottenham's points tally and their gap from 1st to 10th are the joint lowest figures from a Premier League leader after 12 games since the competition was formed in 1992-93. So when we talk about how congested it is, how competitive it is, um, the top half has never really been crazier. Um, And, I mean, there's a lot of different teams here in the mix. You know, you have some of your typical teams like Liverpool, like Spurs, uh, Chelsea, United, all all towards the top. But there's some other surprise teams in there, too, that it almost feels like this, if any year, could be like a Leicester-type year. This might be it, where there's just a little bit of chaos, a little bit enough chaos, I guess, to, uh, to make some of these top teams feel vulnerable. 100%. And some of those numbers are staggering. I think last weekend being the first weekend that, you know, one of those top six teams failed to win. Um, One, you know, at least one of them, you know, uh, didn't win. It's kind of crazy. Obviously, you have City and United playing each other, which helps that that, that It does, but but those other matches, so you had Liverpool against Fulham, you had Arsenal against Burnley, you had Spurs against Palace, and I'm missing one, Chelsea. um, Chelsea lost to Everton. 
exactly. So, you know, there's there's four matches there that you you think those are the favorites in every one of them. Everton, I think, had won one out of their last seven going into that one. They were probably the best of the, the bunch there uh, as far as opponents go. But, yeah, that is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, it's just nuts. And, and it does give, like you were saying, it does give some hope. As a neutral, like, if you're a fan of a bottom half of the Premier League table, which both of us are, mm-hmm. um, Probably. it makes it, yeah, it makes it fucking exciting um, because, you know, every game matters and, and your team can move up the table. Right now, Aston Villa are sitting in 10th place um, with two games in hand on a lot of the top five teams. So if Aston Villa, you know, win their next two games, all of a sudden they're sitting on 24 points, um, which would put them in third. Uh, so, I mean, it's very, very congested up there. And, and honestly, like, that's, you know, this season, if you're a manager of a huge club, like a Jurgen Klopp or a Pep, I think you're furious, right? Because the season is, is like, scripted against the big teams, right? You have more fixtures. Fixture congestion is real. Your squad's, you know, probably not much bigger in terms of registration. You can't register a ton more players. So... And you get the same amount of subs. So, like, if you're a, a top manager of a, to- of a top team who's, like, up there, like, th- the shaking up of the board and the shaking up of the schedule and COVID and everything has kind of allowed some of these other teams to get back in the mix. And, you, you know, you kind of thinking about before the start of the season, I talked about Ralph Hausenhotel being one of my contenders and hopefully favorites for uh, Coach of the Year. He's one of the highest-paid coaches in the Premier League. He's got what's known as the fittest team in the Premier League, and they're thriving under the fixture congestion, find themselves in fourth right now. So there are going to be a lot of teams who I think are right up there in the mix come the end of the season um, as a lot of these clubs, the big six clubs, European campaigns continue to go on. You know, United's still in Europe, Spurs are in Europe, Liverpool still, um, City. So it's going to be, you know, you can see Aston Villa finishing higher, Crystal Palace continue to climb, West Ham be up there still, Southampton, Leicester. So... Right. And I think when it comes to figuring out why the, it's so competitive, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head, but here's another number for you. So uh, Spurs and Palace played this weekend, and coming into that match, Tottenham had played 22 matches in the last 13 weeks, uh, compared to Palace having played 13 over those same 13 weeks. So when we talk about congestion and, and fixture congestion, it's, it's affecting every team in the Premier League, but the teams that are playing European football uh, are getting hit way, way harder and, you know, that's probably one of the main factors. And the other factor, not having any fans in the stadiums, not in the atmosphere, that probably, uh, you know, hurts the, the teams with bigger capacities a little bit more as well. Not, not that all of them have the best stadium atmospheres. But, you know, you think that some of these changes probably are going to more negatively impact the big clubs uh, rather than some of the smaller ones, which should add to some of the, the chaos here or the um, competitiveness across the league. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I can kind of see it going both ways, right? Like if, it, if there's no fans or, or a smaller amount of fans, um, you know, maybe the teams that aren't on those stages often feel more comfortable, right? Like um, the West Brom running out or, you know, uh, Brighton running out against the big six side. It's like going away to Old Trafford isn't quite as daunting as it as it was, you know? Um, that's true. But, yeah. but, but you can also, I can also see it the other way when it's, it, it, it hurts those low teams at the lower end of the table because there isn't the emotional occasion to like get revved up and kind of play above your skill level. Right. So may, and maybe that's why a Sheffield who's kind of a, they've got an emotionally charged manager, um, and not quite the tactical astuteness, um, are struggling behind closed doors and they've struggled well, since the lockdown. So I don't know. I, I was, I was, that's interesting. Cause I was actually, I mean, Sheffield kind of goes against what I was going to say, but it's similar. I was going to say, um, 
you know, some of these newly promoted clubs that would get a lot of energy from their, their crowds. Um, you know, I've been, you, we've both been to Fulham, been to Craven Cottage, and um, that's, that's a fun ground to be at and a lot of energy there. Um, I, you know, say what you want about the fans and whatever, but that, that's a fun ground. And Leeds, I mean, their first year back in the Premier League in so long, not having fans, I think they would really get a, an extra buzz or spark um, having some of these home games in the Prem that they haven't had in a long time. Uh, and you're and you're seeing a lot of teams perform really well away from home, right? Like Manchester United's Bruno Fernandez is like stellar away from home, but not as good at Old Trafford. So that and that um, does I don't even know if there is an explanation for that, to be honest. <laughs> Especially yeah. with no but, fans, it makes it even weirder. You think the team that's traveling would be at a disadvantage, but yeah, it's right. something about it. Right. It's almost like the whole pregame ritual of like taking the bus to the stadium or traveling to the stadium is like gives them more time to mentally prepare as opposed to just driving from where they live or something. I, you know, I, I, I don't know, but it, it is, it, it's been a, an absolute spectacle so far. It's, um, you know, I think early on in the season, every game has been great to watch. And it's been also been really refreshing just as a, you know, as supporting having a soft spot for Villa and Palace. It's been nice to see them pick up good results as well. Um, I mean, the only hiccups, you know, and, and to, to give credit to the Premier League, you know, we just touched on fixture congestion. Like, there haven't really been many issues. Testing has been really good. Players are continuing to kneel and, and support of Black Lives Matter every game. Um, the only game that's been suspended uh, so far has been the Newcastle Villa game because of a COVID outbreak at Newcastle, which, like, would happen at Newcastle as opposed to all clubs. Um, so outside of that, it's been, it's been pretty well, good. Yeah, and I will say, though, the congestion is, you know, I think the one thing that's affected is definitely injuries. Um, teams will be a little bit more conscious of that, and you see some teams getting hit a little bit harder with injuries, like uh, Liverpool, Van Dijk, Henderson, uh, both getting hurt. You know, they also had uh, a couple of players with COVID. I mean, there's certain teams that are going to be more affected than others in a season like this. Um, you know, I don't know if Newcastle will come back and have more congested fixtures because of their postponements, and that could negatively impact them. You know, Villa is a team that their game got postponed because of Newcastle having problems, and now they're going to have some more congested fixtures so mm-hmm. there's definitely some cause and effect and there's going to be some ripples throughout uh the season and it'll be really interesting i think uh, as we get into the second half of the season uh to see how some of these players hold up because they didn't really get much of an off season or much of a rest especially teams that were playing in the champion or the champions league still like city and united who are still playing games in august you know those teams might have had four weeks tops to rest up uh when they're used to having three months and so uh, over the course of the season, especially teams that are a little bit older, uh, I think they're going to break down a little bit more easily. You're going to have to see some more rotation. And you look at England, too. Um, there's three teams left in the Champions League, and I believe there's three or four left in Europa League. So there's all these teams who are still playing in Europe, um, and you know those aren't going to slow down. So I think you're going to see even more effects over the course of the back half of the season, even if some things might get back to normal. We might see some more fans in stadiums. We might not have as many COVID issues. I think we are going to have some fatigue issues. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely a long season and we're still in the early days, right? Like you're 12 only matches at, in for these teams, right? So we're not even a third right. of the way in. Exactly. So we, we got a long way to play. And then, you know, over these next few weeks, it's going to come thick and fast because you're going to go through the Christmas period. Um, and then Champions League ramps up right afterwards. So there's really from here on out, it's just a sprint, you know, for the, the last kind of like you said, 75% of the, of, of the season for these, these bigger clubs. Um, but which, which does bring me to the question, you know, talking about teams with, uh, teams who are playing well at the top end of the table. Um, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about who you've been pleased with so far in the season and who you, who, who's been a disappointment. So, um, we're going to run through our biggest pleasant surprise. So a surprise that, you know, 
I guess a surprise. You get surprises you, do, you usually don't see coming. So one that, you know, a player who's impressed you, um, a, a pleasant surprise, Chris, so far in the season. All right, yeah, so we'll go players, and then and then I guess we'll do clubs after. So um, my player, I'm going to be honest, not like, not like patting myself in the back here, but I, I did actually, I think I might have mentioned something about this player and how I thought it was a little bit of a shrewd signing. And uh, someone that I didn't really think got a lot of um, – positive attention over the summer when the signing was made it was kind of a little bit of a head scratcher um, but that is uh, the genius of Jose Mourinho and or Daniel Levy and bringing in Pierre-Emile Hoiberg uh, over the summer here who I think has been arguably one of the top three or four best players probably in the league this season he's played every minute he's uh, made the second most passes in the league he's had the third most touches in the league and he's just the true definition of a, a holding midfielder who covers a lot of ground, uh, a lot of tackles and interceptions, good in possession, very, very hardworking. Uh, and I think you kind of need that if you're going to be a, a title contending team. You know, you look at some of like the past teams that have done really, really well in the Prem. Um, you know, there's Liverpool had a Jordan Henderson type player. Uh, you had City's teams with, you know, like you could say Fernandinho, uh, Chelsea with N'Golo Conte. Everyone has one of these just kind of industrious midfielders that has a high work rate uh, that covers a lot of space. And I think Hoiberg has definitely done that. Uh, and they didn't have to spend a lot to get him either. So I don't think there were a lot of expectations of coming into the season. You hear about some of these Spurs players, like, you know, they bring in Bale and it's headlines for weeks, but Hoiberg might be a little bit of a footnote. Uh, but I think he's been absolutely uh, immense for them as they're top of the table right now. Um, and, I, I mean, all credit to them. I, I, you know, he was a player that was – solid at a, a bottom half team in the prem and he's come in and been maybe one of the best players for them so far this season so yeah yeah his his impact has been immense and i think you know if, if harry kane's not there i mean he's the, he seems like the kind of player who you could go on and like captain them right, without hugo Lloris and harry kane right like if they're not in the lineup it's like oh hoiberg would it's like oh yeah he's the captain it feels like he's already fit in there and been there for a while which isn't true hoiberg's got an interesting pass he you know he was a Bayern uh Bayern munich academy grad very highly touted actually when he went to Southampton it was a bit of a coup when he went to Southampton and then it's one of those rare instances where a player is at a club does pretty well doesn't re-sign so there's a little contention um he leaves in the summer and goes to another Premier League team and does even better and just like that doesn't tend to happen often you know like I think about players who've done that in the past another one from Southampton is Mario Lamina who you know felt like he was a better player than he was at Southampton wanted a bigger deal, wanted to go to a big club. I think he got signed by you know, a club in Italy and, and, and just didn't play and now found, finds himself turning out on loan, you know, finds himself turning out on loan in Turkey and then now turning out on loan at Fulham um, and clearly, you know, not a top six player. Um, so it doesn't really happen very often when a player like kind of like bets on themselves and leaves one of those lower Premier League teams and goes on and steps up to a top six team, like instantly asserts himself. So it's kind of cool um, just from a, a, a career trajectory perspective, one that you don't I mean, see super often. Right, and I mean, who would have thought coming into this season that it would have been Musa Sissoko and Hoiberg that have been maybe the, the best midfield duo, um, at least like the somewhat of more of a central or defensive midfield role uh, in the premises so far this season. I think it's probably those two. And <laughs> I mean, last year, if you would have told me that, I would have said you were crazy. So, um, right. you know, credit to him. Like I said, he's worked really, really hard. He He's someone that like you, you can't help but notice when you watch them. And, you know, he's never going to get the, the kind of accolades that like Kane and Son will, but... I think he's almost just as important to that team. And um, so definitely a very, very pleasant surprise for me with Hoiberg. Um, 
What about your player? Your, your so my yeah player? my 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 player who I'm I've been pleasantly surprised with has been Emmy Martinez, um, the goalkeeper for Aston Villa. Now, I, listen, I think Emmy Martinez is a world class goalkeeper. I think he's a better goalkeeper than a lot of the top six teams have. Um, I rate him more more highly than De Gea. I think De Gea is garbage, um, but. And I, you know, I think he starts at Arsenal over Leno. I, I read Leno as well, it's, but I that's think, that's I, the crazy thing is that yeah, he yeah. probably does, and you know, they got rid of him. So anyway, exactly. go ahead. <laughs> and and so and so you know, I think coming to the team, whenever you buy another club's backup, again, uh, career trajectory wise, one that you don't always see working out. You know, it's it's like oh, bottom half of the Premier League table, uh, you're buying a, a club's backup goalie. Uh, we did spend thirty mil. Villa spent thirty million pounds on him, so. You know he's got to be decent, but you think, okay, he's been out, been at Arsenal for a long time, never really broken into the side. There's got to be kind of like what's missing, like what's the what's the boogeyman under the bed that's uh, that's kind of kept him from breaking into that lineup. And then he's just been absolutely class since since joining Villa. I think he's like five five shutouts, so he's a shutout in like half their games. Yeah, I believe um, it was five clean sheets. So he's been brilliant. So uh, and and Villa now feel like they have a very very steady hand at goal, which I don't think they've had since Brad Friedel. Um, so that's that's just ridiculously encouraging. It's something that they've struggled at the goalkeeping, goalkeeping position for the last few seasons, muddling around the championship with Nyland. Um, we've had Kalinic. So it, it's it's I think any team with an assured goalkeeper is one that you back to stay up in the league, and then one that if you start to get some good attacking players in, they'll win you a few games, and then hopefully you can you know climb into the top half. Well, the other thing I'll say about that is that Villa, you know, we, we watch them every week, and they were bleeding goals last season. Mm-hmm. And they haven't made crazy changes. Um, they, they added Matty Cash, who's been really good at right back. But other than that, they're pretty much the same team defensively. They've still got Mings, Kansa, uh, Target. So, you know, the, the big change was Martinez, and it's clearly completely switched yeah, them. I don't know how much of that is momentum or tactics to them settling into the league, but it's definitely been a big impact signing. That's a good point. So I think then, uh, and then pivoting over to our biggest surprise teams, um, I just touched on them on the back of Hoiberg, but my biggest biggest pleasant surprise team, and it's one that I've been beating this drum for a while, is Southampton. Um, Southampton find themselves in fourth right now. Um, they just thrashed Blades at home. Blades. Um, Blades. Sorry, yeah, Blades at home had their fans, did kind of like a mid-season walkout. Um, where they, you know, walk to the fans, and, and it was very, very noisy at St. Mary's. I've been down to St. Mary's. Um, it's a good day out, but they look fantastic. And like I said, I think I, I think they're going to be up in the top part of the table for a while because they're very, very fit. Theo Walcott looks a world class player since moving there. Um, they hunt in Ooh. packs. Oh, so wait, what? wait, 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 wait! I don't want to cut you off, but say that again. Theo Walcott looks world class since since going to Southampton. Someone's recording this, right? He he looks really world really class. Good. Are you kidding me? Re- really really good. Yeah, if you watch him play, like if you I haven't the watched him. He's been good. He's been good. Um, I mean, world class. World class might be the wrong adjective phrase. It is, it's a it not, it might, but like, not. It is the wrong. <laughs> but like, but like, he's looking. He's though. look. He's looking better than you know. I I think. I mean, you what? If you look down at the bottom half of the Premier League table, I mean, he's looking better than any any attacking player at. Arsenal is right now better than Aubameyang, who everyone says. I is think he's class. like their so, sixth most important player, maybe seventh. I, I mean, I, I don't. Look, every player is a different role, but but my, my my point about Southampton is I think they're going to finish very very high this season because of the way they play. They hunt in packs when they don't have possession. They keep things very narrow uh, when they all, um, when they're out of possession as well. Very very difficult to break down. They're also good on set pieces with 
Bednarik and uh, Vestergaard at the back. And they've got good outside backs with Bertrand and, and Walker Peters. I don't. I think the weakest part of that team is McCarthy and goal, but and Ward Prowse looks next level this this year as well. So it's really really diff- diff- difficult to beat them because they're good from set pieces um, and they're really good in open play and they they're in ridiculous shape. If you watch that team, I like I get tired watching Southampton because they just never stop running. I mean, um, so and and they don't have European fixtures, so I think they're going to be re- in really really good shape. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't want to hate on Southampton because I, they're kind of your club. They're they're your baby. You love Haas and Huddle. You love all this. They've been really, really good this season. They've really impressed me. And Ward Prowse is the def, definitely like the best dead ball specialist in the Premier League right now. I mean, you get you foul anywhere near the box and you're shitting your pants if you're a keeper. And Villa did it twice. They they left two fouls right outside the box, scored both of them. And, you know, it's a corner. Uh, he whips it into Bednarik or Vestergaard. I mean, their back four is very good. Stuart Armstrong has been very good. And they're doing all this with Danny Ings missing, what, probably four or five matches? Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's back now. So, yeah, they're, they're scary. And, um, you know, especially led by world-class uh, winger slash forward Theo Waldcott. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, they, they could be really good. So I like that pick. Uh, my pick was a little bit of a different direction. And a team that I, I don't really think as highly of as Southampton but a team that has been a very big surprise for me uh, is West Ham. And th- a couple reasons why, but the main one is I really, really thought David Moyes was on his way out um, probably 10 different times now, and he just keeps finding another life. Uh, you know, Antonio, who was the one player that seemed like he could keep them afloat, got hurt. And all they've done is won four of the last five fixtures. Um, and, you know, they're getting it from all these different places. Agbana is just like... His head is just glued to the ball on set pieces, and he's scoring left and right. Um, and, you know, I still love some of these their, their pieces, like a, a Declan Rice, um, Suchek, who I don't think that Haliyev has been on fire lately. I really like Jared Bowen. Ben Rama's starting to get more time. And then, um, you know, Aaron Cresswell, I think he has four assists now in the Premier League this season. So uh, it's just, a, I think Southampton I could have seen coming a little bit more. Um, but don't look past West Ham, who uh, are out the gates very, very hot and low-key in sixth place in the table right now uh, with yeah. six wins and 12, and like I said, four out of five. And then they go in and they play Palace this week, which, I mean, I'm a Palace fan, but very winnable. And they're, they're not doing anything crazy. They're winning the games they have. Uh, they're, they're winning the games they should be winning, excuse me, right? You know, they're they're beating in their last five. They beat Fulham. They beat they beat Blades. Villa. They beat Villa. They beat Leeds. So like these are teams that aren't top of the table, but it's tough to do that. It's tough when you're not uh, a City or a Liverpool to to pick up points in all these matches that you really feel like you should be winning. And yeah. credit to David Moyes. I mean, uh, they're the team that I would have thought uh, probably bottom five or six this season, and they're going to be pushing for Europe. It looks like. Yeah, I, so I don't, I don't think, think they actually Europe. will be. I don't I think, think they th- actually will be, <laughs> but right, right now yeah, they yeah. are. <laughs> okay, that, that's an immediate take back. If I'll give you that, if you give me the immediate take back. That's for why they're a walk, surprise. Walk, for, I'll give you the immediate take back for that if you give me the Walcott immediate. Well, take I back. actually took mine back. So, you you almost defended yours, but anyway. <laughs> so I, I so with West Ham, yeah, I, I'll, I'll echo your sentiment about thinking that Moyes would be gone because I thought the same thing. Uh, at multiple times last season, and I've thought this. I mean, I just don't rate him that highly. Um, and so, as highly as I think about Hazen Hotel, it's kind of the opposite with David Moyes. And yeah, he's he's proven me very very wrong, um, I, especially when he tested positive for coronavirus and then uh, for COVID nineteen, and then 
didn't wasn't on the bench and the two games that he wasn't on the bench for they won i was like what a laughing stock um and then they've just got and then he's returned they've gone on to continue to be better i think it's interesting i think to make a comparison with them and another premier league team i think i would i would use newcastle but a more skilled version of newcastle so tactically they're very very similar um west ham looks to hit you on set pieces they have some big threats from set pieces i mean they have three center backs in most games um then combine that with suchak and declan rice in central midfield i mean that's five six foot two six foot six foot two plus players it's only a handful of teams in the league i don't think any other team in the league has that, that many six footers in their lineup so um they're really really dangerous from set pieces uh first of all so they're, they're scoring there and then secondly they they have a couple good wide players who when they break in possession, although rather rare, um, look pretty good. Uh, and that's Ben Rama, and that's Jared Bowen. And Jared Bowen's been really, really strong. So, um, you know, they're going to put a lot of men behind the ball. They play with the wingbacks, who can occasionally get up the field, Cresswell and uh, Kufal on the other side. So, yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I think tactically, I don't think that kind of setup is going to get you. Like, they'll nick a few points off the big teams, but it's not going to get them – you know, a top six finish, obviously. No. And I, but but if you're a West Ham fan, it's exactly what you need, right? Like, get rid of some of your payroll. Get rid of some of these Felipe Anderson. Stop trying to be a, um, you know, a, a, you know they, they went kind of the route of signing the big-name players, big-name managers. They managers, went the Everton Pe- route. Pellegrini. Yeah, they did. Um, and then now they're kind of doing the opposite where they're like, okay, let's grow our culture. Let's grow from the ground up. Some homegrown players. Um, get, some, get some atmosphere back into the club. Um, and it's working via David Moyes. It feels, you know, similar to the kind of projects that some of these teams are trying to do, like a Villa. Um, West Ham's doing it right now. Um, I think kind of a Wolves as well. It's not necessarily homegrown. It's just all Portuguese. But they're all kind of trying to, trying to grow their thing from the ground up, as opposed to buy quick, buy now, which is what Everton's been doing for a while. And what West Ham uh, has historically done, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I will say, again, you know, I don't think they're a top six team, but if you told me before the season, if I was a West Ham supporter, that I'm finishing top half, that'd be a very pleasant surprise. 100%. So. 100%, yeah. All right, let's go to biggest disappointment. I'll, uh, I'll start with my player. Um, and this is someone that I actually do still think very highly of, but definition of a disappointment so far this season. Uh, that would be Kai Havertz at Chelsea. Uh, massive signing. Uh, with a ton of hype around him. and I mean, he'd been linked with big clubs for the entire season last year. Uh, linked with Chelsea specifically. They brought in Werner. They brought in Havertz. Uh, they brought in Ziyech, who was supposed to, to supposed to be just this um, dynamic attack, a lot of pace, very young. And Chelsea have done pretty damn well this season, but it has not been their attack. It's been defensively they where they've really shined. And I think the biggest uh, weakness they've had has been probably the link-up play between forwards and their midfield, and that's really what Havertz should be doing. Uh, I've watched most of their their games, I would say, this season, and I've not been impressed by him once, I don't think, so far this season. Uh, Yeah, I – fraud. I think he's a fraud, and it's tough. I I feel bad saying this about about Kai Havertz because, of course – like, if I'm I'm more of a Chelsea fan, I'll say this. If I'm more of a Chelsea fan, or if I'm a Chelsea fan – I'm like, you know, he'll come good. He'll come good. And I'm probably saying that a little bit to kind of tell myself it'll all be okay. Um, but as a neutral, he just looks fucking terrible. Just flat out. He looks really, really bad. Um, he's he's obviously long and lean. And so he's like 6'2", 6'3", which is interesting uh, as a playmaker. You know, you th- like a lot of the playmakers you're seeing are a little bit shorter than that, a little bit quicker, lower to the ground. The complete opposite being like Dan- uh, Pudence over at Wolves. But um, so it, it feels like... 
I don't know. He can't hang. He can't. Quite, it looks like he's like I don't know. Like uh, he's like he's a seventh grader playing with eighth graders on the playground, and he's just like dominated the seventh graders for a few years. Now he's playing with the eighth graders, and he's just getting pushed around. And it, and and sorry to go middle school football on you there, but it's like that's what it looks like. And he just looks completely out of his depth. His touch has been miserable. There are clips all over Twitter about him just sailing passes long and wide, um, and doesn't have any goals to his name in the league. And I mean. Once Ziyech comes back from injury, like that, this team is too talented for him to f- wait like three, four, five, six months to like eventually break into the team. Well, you know, it, they're too talented, but they're also too competitive this season. I mean, they are it, in the title race, and when you have a Ziyech or a Pulisic or even a Hudson Adoy or right, you know, some of these other guys in your bench, a Mason Mount, like mm-hmm. you, you send Loftus Cheek out on loan, like just recall him and play him instead of Havertz. I mean, <laughs> I mean, watch Mason Mount play and watch Kai Havertz play and tell me that Kai should be playing over Mount. You can't. I right. mean, Mount yeah. gets a lot of stick on Twitter and all this crap with Southgate, but he works his ass off out there, and he's he's really talented. And Havertz just it feels like he hasn't caught up to the speed of the game a little bit. It's not necessarily that he's disinterested, but that's kind of almost he's, his body so language. I, yeah, I've, just I've, I've, not confident at all. Very timid. Yeah. Uh, and in that position, you really need to be confident on the ball. You need to be able to – he just doesn't, like, have that presence out there. You almost forget he's on the pitch sometimes. And in the position that he's in, that's hard to do. Um, so I, I've, I've read something the other day that he's already said in an interview that he's noticed – and is working on adjusting to life in the Premier League, the speed of the Premier League. He, he said the speed and the physicality of the defenders is different in the Premier League. I mean, we're not even 12 games into the season. If he's already saying that, like, there's a level of, like, realism you need to have as a footballer where, yes, of course, like, if you're, you know, you need to recognize that you, if you're not making the plays you want to be making, of course, it's probably more difficult. But I don't know if I'm ever saying that out in public. Right, like I don't know if I'm ever publicly admitting, like, yeah, defenses are harder. Like, I'm working at it. You know, I would. Yeah, I, you, I, I, you I, I almost feel like you need ownership. Yeah, I feel like you need it, but I feel like you need a, an element of, of like arrogance and self confidence, especially to be an elite. Like, imagine Cristiano Ronaldo saying, like, oh yeah, the defenders are better in the Premier League. Like, I need to, you know, like I'm working on it. Right, like, of course, he would never say something like that. Right, and yeah, and so and and that that's the kind of talent you know that's associated with a, a 90 million pound price tag. Yeah, and it's just interesting because him and Werner are always going to be a little bit compared with each other, I think. They both came in. They both came from the Bundesliga, German players. Werner hasn't gone off to the greatest start either. But honestly, the best thing for him, I think, is Ben Kai because people aren't really talking about Timo. He's been okay. He hasn't been bad. But I, I don't know if he's really been better than Giroud or Tammy. And, yeah, he's, um, I mean, yeah, they're, they're both starting right now. Or, I think, know, Giroud, Giroud's I think, been playing well. Right. I think Timo's shown enough flashes that people aren't super concerned about him. Um, but I think if it wasn't for Kai, there'd be a lot more finger pointing at Timo right now. So it's interesting. Um, but I, I actually do think he will turn it around. But at the same time, he's going to always be billed with this price tag. He's going to have that hanging over him. And there's some players that uh, could thrive under that. And he doesn't seem like the type of guy right now that is thriving under that type of pressure or yeah. attention. I mean, I hope I so. hope for his sake he's young and he you know he figures it out. And He was great you know, last it, season in the Bundesliga. Like, it, so yeah. the, the guy has the ability. Yeah, but it's I don't know. It's it's just it amazes me, you know, the 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 differences in in the leagues, and it's so funny how like, how some players come over and tear the cover off the ball, and some don't. You know, like what are the yeah. traits there? So uh, there's yeah. definitely I think more investigation to go there. It's for my biggest disappointment in terms of players so far. It's Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Um, this guy's and it's for two reasons. One, um, it's the captain of Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal in complete disarray. I think uh, the South stat on NBC it was like six red cards since. 
uh, November Since of last Arteta year. Since took over, and yeah. the next most on any team was three. Right, so they're doubling up anybody else, which is just pathetic. Like, that's going to ruin you games. So there's a ton of discipline issues going on at Arsenal right now. Xhaka, Pepe, recent red card offenses. Um, on, like, off the ball, like, dead ball incidents. Like, yeah, like, n- like not even, yeah. Like, like, ones that, like, if you have a captain who you're, who, you know, who's got control um, and, you know, who you respect, um, you're just not doing, you know, because he's, you know, he's going to rip your head off in the locker room. So, uh, Aubameyang, and I know he's not, maybe he's not that kind of leader, so maybe that's not his fault, but, you know, if you wear the captain's armband, like, you do, you wear, respons- you like, you're going to wear the armband, like, you own, you have to own some Let's, responsibility, right? I'm going to, I'm going to make an executive decision here to combine one of my um, biggest disappointment <laughs> clubs. Let's talk about Arsenal while we're talking about Aubameyang, I think, because, you're right. I mean, uh, part of that comes on the captain when you're getting red cards on the pitch. But how much of that falls on Aubameyang versus Arteta? Uh, they're an absolute mess. And Aubameyang is a veteran player. You'd think that he would be someone in the locker room that could step up and turn this around a little bit and command some respect. So I definitely think that some of the blame goes on him. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's not the the man in the the driver's seat there it's Arteta and Arteta doesn't seem like he has the backbone really to stand up to some of these players I think he maybe he's a little bit too young a little too inexperienced too nice but it just doesn't seem like he's cut out to to have your first job in charge at a club like Arsenal that's a little bit in disarray already I think he could have benefited like Frank Lampard did with going to a, a championship club getting some experience under your belt before taking the step up to uh, a club as big as an Arsenal or Chelsea yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think making that comparison is dangerous because I think, I mean, look at the the reinforcement that Lampard's been given, the youth of the club. They're they're you know the the Chelsea ship is one that you kind of just got to make sure stays straight. Like Arsenal, you have to create the wind to push the to push the ship in the right direction, and that's a club that very very quickly kind of, um, you know. Uh, goes within itself. Arteta doesn't have the financial support that Lampard does. Of course. Sure. But now now what I'll say about what I'll say about that team is I, I, I don't read too much into like, oh, he doesn't have the respect to the players. Like all the players have talked about how they love Arteta's um He's a player's manager, and, but is and, he and dis- yes, and, a disciplinarian enough? But, but, you need but, but he's that. but he's also like if you remember him as a player, like he you know, he wasn't exactly like this soft kind of like candy ass outside back or, you know, center forward. Like the guy, the guy was a hard tackling, strong passing central midfielder. Um, well, the captain's armband played many years for Everton and like, and, and on Arsenal as well. And so I, I think he, I think the way he manages his players is, is kind of the more modern day management theory where your player's always right. Uh, build emotional support and trust, empowering them as opposed to being a disciplinarian, which is okay. Um, Assuming that you have disciplinarian, influ- disciplinarian influences on the field, right? And I don't think they have that, right? They, they don't have uh, – and they kind of brought in David Luiz, who's just a class below, to, to maybe be that, like a, le- a vocal leader in central defense. He's not good enough. Uh, Gabriel, good good player in central defense. He's Brazilian, doesn't speak the language yet. Not the leader um, yet. Rob Holding is there, like the guy who used to play at Bolton. Like, is he that player? No. Uh, they got a German goalkeeper. They have a, um, a Gabonese central forward. Uh, and I'm not saying you need like English or Welsh or any certain nationality there, but I think you do need. You know, I think about United having Roy Keane, and you think about the other teams in the league. Like, who are their captains? Like. Uh, like uh, you look at Chelsea, um, Chelsea have a few players who can wear the armband, and but you bring in Thiago someone S- like Thiago, Thiago Silva, Silva, 
uh, who everyone like immediately Cesar respects. At, exactly, Tia, Tia, or uh, an Azpilicueta. Um, and, the, you know, these are players who are going to be of that kind of influence in the locker room. So I think that's the issue with Arsenal right now. As I look at that team and I think, you know, any player who, if you're a Pepe, like who, you know, and, and is Granit Xhaka yelling at you about that red card? Like, no, because you, you don't and rate Granit Xhaka. If Granit Xhaka is yelling at you, are you listening? Right, exactly. So I think that's part of the issue. And like some of the players who have come through their academy recently, um, you know, aren't that. It's funny. I think like Emmy Martinez is kind of one of those players who they got rid of. So, um, you know, uh, Bakayo Saka isn't that. Ainsley Maitland Niles isn't that. Um, Jack Wilshire wasn't that. So, no, they're a little more passive, quieter personalities. I, I feel like Arsenal has been associated with that for a while, but. You're right, but I think it's also on the manager to recognize that. And you're coming into a new season, you got to figure out how to get that together. You had a bunch of defensive issues Agreed. last Agreed. year. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, it all falls on him to, to tie it all together. I mean, it does all fall on him. And as a bombing, but disappointing, of course he has. But um, you know, we could talk about Arsenal for hours, and I'm sure we'll talk yeah, about them could. again. But. All right, so, so then, uh, okay, so Aubameyang, terrible. Um, and then since we're talking about teams, I'll give you um, disappointment. My disappointment has been with Leeds. Um, now, it seems a bit harsh because they're not, you know, in the bottom four places in the league. I think they're, they're in 14th, so they're on uh, 14 points. They've got, got, got a bit of a ways to go from the relegation fight. I, Leeds are disappointing because, and I think, uh, I think, I can't remember who said this on, on NBC the other day. It might have been uh, Danny Hagenbotham or maybe even Tim Howard, but um, Leeds, every game that they've been in has been wide open wide open um and they're competing you know with some of these teams that are the really exciting games um but the disappointment with their chances created to conversion is brutal right like they it looks like they could they, every game that they're in they could win like 5-2 right or 4-1 um and it's disappointing watching them because you think okay Bielsa is so good and the team and the way they're playing is so interesting and so exciting to watch but they're just not. Some of the players aren't talented enough, and they lose too many individual battles. Um, and his squad rotation, he's trying to rotate players through to figure out who's going to win enough individual battles, and then they just don't do it. So it's disappointing. I, I really like Bielsa, and I think you know this team will be okay. But it's disappointing relative to watching them and then the results that they get, if that makes sense. I get that. But I think the thing with Leeds is um... – they're newly promoted, and I think there was a lot of team, a lot of people that were saying, "Oh, they could go top half. They could be this newly promoted team that really has a, a big impact year one." And I think it's a little unfair to set that expectation on them. They've been really exciting. They've shown a lot of promise, and in my eyes, they're not a team that I really think of uh, as a relegation candidate, which I think is about as all about all you can expect or hope for in your first year up in the prem. But um, they definitely need to work on tying it all a little, little together better. But you see the flashes of it with them. Uh, and I think Bielsa is clearly the man for the job still. Uh, and they need to, you know, polish up their squad a little bit in some areas. But I don't know. I, I don't totally agree. Um, but I can also understand where you're coming from with it. Yeah, I think it's just it, – it's one of those things where I think tactically the way they set up – like if you, if you put a, even a team of like West Ham's capability under Bielsa management, I think that's like a top four side. Um, so that's where I think it's disappointing – for me, you know, like Patrick Manford has X amount of goals in the league, but like he's also got like the most big chances missed, you know. So um, 
just relative to where how many points they have right now and and watching them, um, it's disappointing. Like I, if I was a Leeds fan right now, I would feel disappointed sitting fourteenth because I, the way you've, the way you've played, you could be easily in I, seventh, eighth. If you're looking at it from that perspective, then I would agree with you definitely. Um, okay. All right, what do we do? You want to move on to January? Yeah. So I think. Um, when we're thinking about who's going to strengthen, who needs to strengthen in January, that's kind of the last question prompt we have um, before we have trivia. Um, just as give, well, we had a little different twist on trivia, but I just wanted to give our perspective or talk with, through our perspective on who needs to strengthen in January and why. Um, now, a lot of people will say Liverpool and you know at the center back position with Van Dyke being out. Um, I mean Arsenal. I mean, you could train strength, like really. You could, their you whole could squad. yeah, you could go through. Yeah, you could go through and say Blades need a new center back. Um, they can't score either. Um, but for I'll, me, I'll start. Oh no, you go, go ahead. Start. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, fine, fine, so, fine, 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 fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. Okay, here's here's why I say mine. I'm gonna go with Manchester City, and I'm gonna go with their attack. Um, funny enough, Manchester City they're in ninth right now. They actually still have the best odds to win the Premier League uh, with bookmakers. And that's because they have endless potential. Um, but one part of the squad that I don't know if they've strengthened enough is their attack. Uh, they signed Ferran Torres, who they've played a little bit at striker, but I don't think he's really a pure number nine or a center forward. Um, they obviously have uh, Jesus and Aguero, and Aguero's been knocked, uh, you know, had some knocks. He's been hurt. Um, and Jesus has come in, and he's done okay. Uh, Sterling hasn't gotten off to his greatest season so far. Uh, you know, you got Mares, you got Bruno. So they got a lot of attackers, but they don't really have a pure forward other than Aguero. And I, I think Aguero at this point uh, is just not something you can rely on for a full season. And, uh, you know, you were actually the one that brought this up, but, um, you know, Erling Holland is going to be on the move at some point. There's no way that he doesn't make a move to either one of the top two or three clubs in England or to Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern, PSG. One of these big clubs is going to snatch him up at some point. And whoever does uh, is going to be in a prime position for a long time, I think. Um, and whether it's Holland or not, I think if City have a chance of winning the title this year, they are going to have to add to their attack. Um, you know, they've only scored 17 goals in 11 matches, which for them is really not that much. Um, and they're, five, they're not five they're, of them, five of them against Burnley as well. Right, exactly. And they're not pacing with Liverpool, with Spurs, with Chelsea, even with like Leicester uh, or Southampton when it comes to goals. They have improved a lot defensively which is why i think that if they can um you know add to their attack a bit they're going to be in a good spot but they've you know they've diaz uh has been a huge signing for them and i think they've kind of finally figured out who they um actually want to be playing in their back four and have a little bit more of an identity back there uh, mm-hmm. but i think they do need to tie together and i think bringing in a forward that's younger that is going to be a long-term fixture for them, which I don't think Jesus is going to be. Uh, I think it's about time. So whether they do that in January or the summer is one thing, but if they're going to win the title, I think they might have to do it in the, the middle of the season here. Yeah, it, it, I, I mean, I agree. I think Jesus... It, Jesus so the, the interesting thing about City, they've, they've switched to the the four two three one. 2 uh, They switched kind of the way they play instead of a 4-3-3, and that 
keeping kind of two holding midfielders, Rodri and whoever else, whether it be Fernandinho, Okai Gundogan is kind of the two that sit in front of and making that box like Mourinho plays. Um, and then De Bruyne is playing in the number 10. Um, and then, you know, out wide, they usually play like a Sterling and a Torres or a Mares. Um, and then up top, usually Jesus. Jesus not getting the goal returns. Um, his first touch, touch looks a little wonky at times. He doesn't really have that kind of like finisher's edge. Um that you see with, or you know, the really high shot to conversion, like a Harry Kane has, like a Son has, um, even a Mo Salah has. So or a Prime just, Aguero had. Yeah, yeah, or a Prime Aguero. So I mean, th- th- that team is crying out for someone to go and bang in thirty goals, and Sterling's not getting the goals that he used to get in that team. Um, par- I think partially because their tactical tactical adjustment, they need to shore up the back, um, which is fine. And I think the goals will come. Like they they will beat these bad teams. 5 nothing because they move the ball so quickly and play with such ridiculous width. Um, but when they're playing against good teams who can pass it around through uh, you know, through that width and counterattack a little bit, uh, they seem to be a little bit more defensive-minded first and like don't have the ability to score. So I, I completely agree with that take. And I've been saying that for a while. Like I've been saying they should sold. You said it a season. little too early, I think. But now I could look back at it and be like, well, if they would have done it with Jack said it, then they wouldn't be in this spot. So I hate That's giving you credit, but I'll give you a little bit of credit. Yeah, well, so what I will say, so for mine, like what who who needs to strengthen in January for me? Um, I think Brighton need a new goalkeeper, um, and I don't like Brighton, so you know I don't want to give them suggestions. But Matt Ryan, it just isn't a Premier League goalkeeper. I think the guy's like all of five ten. Um, I'm all of five ten. It's just not tall enough to be a Premier League goalkeeper, um, and you know I watched that first goal in against Leicester. They just lost three nil um, yesterday, and. It looked like he could have easily saved it down to his left. Um, they get three goals in the first half and lose the game. And Brighton does, like plays good football. You know, everyone's all about Brighton plays good football, and they're not getting good results. And so, you know, I think a little bit back to Villa last season, um, teams that play good football but don't get good results are missing players either at the front end of the pitch or the back end of the pitch um, because they're playing good, good. They're passing it around through midfield. I think I have I like a few players who they have, but uh, I think goalkeeper is a position that they need to strengthen desperately. Um, again, looking at the Villa effect, Villa did that. Emmy Martinez, we talked about him as one of the biggest pleasant surprises. I think Brighton, if they know what's good for him, go out and sign a keeper in January, um, and hopefully a good one for their sake. Uh, Dean I don't Henderson, hate, maybe. Oh, well, I don't think the United are going to get rid of him, but I don't hate that. Um, I, I watched Brighton for their first, I want to say, six, seven matches, uh, basically through that match where they, they played United and got screwed and lost 3-2. Uh, and they got screwed in the last five minutes of the match. But... Um, I was always impressed with them, and I think it's your right. You're right. You know, they talk about this Graham Potter style of football, and um, they looked good. And I think Neil Malpay is decent. I think Sully March is decent. I think they've got some some pieces there. Um, I don't know if the the answer is Matt Ryan or not. By the way, listed at six foot. So, you know, uh, yeah. listed at six I was foot. listed. I was if, listed at six foot. You know, if a dude tells you he's six foot, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so. Um, no, I don't hate that pick. I mean, I do hate Brighton, but eh, whatever. Yeah. So, All right, anyway. Ultra, ultra trivia. Okay, so I called an audible this week. Uh, I know we've done trivia. It's a staple of the pod. And for people that don't make the pod, so anyone besides Jack and I, it's really hard to come up with it sometimes. <laughs> um, and you guys have heard we've had some very bad trivia segments before, and it's normally because it's really, really hard to come up with a new one every week. Um and the we haven't German done this trivia. in months. I think but there's a German trivia fiasco of April. That was, that, that broke me for a while. Uh, <laughs> I didn't sleep for, for a week. Uh, no, that was rough, though. I decided to come up with something a little bit different. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, it's not trivia. But it is me um, kind of going one-on-one with Jack here. 
I'm going to be basically just firing off some rapid fire questions that are this or that. So I'm going to give you a few options and I want you to pick. They're all a little bit different. I've got eight of them here. We can elaborate with them a little bit if we want to, or we can circle back to one if you want to, but I'm just going to give them to you. Jack has not prepared for these. He doesn't know them. Um, so just off the cuff, I need you to make a selection. Ready? Okay. Yeah, go. First question. Better chance at the title, Spurs or Chelsea? Spurs. Okay. More likely to go down, West Brom or Fulham? West Brom. Okay. Most likely to qualify for Europe. I have four options here. Southampton, West Ham, Everton, Villa. Villa. Wow. Okay, that's a homer pick. All right. Uh, next one. Worst aspect of VAR, close offsides calls or penalty retakes for goalkeepers coming off their line? Close offsides calls. Okay. Bigger current icon in the UK media, Jack Grealish or Paul Pogba? <laughs> Jack Grealish. Yeah, I had to. Okay. Better attacking playmaker, Bruno Fernandez or Kevin De Bruyne? That's tough. Uh, attacking playmaker, honestly, I'd say Bruno. Wow, I was not expecting that. First to get sacked. Different players. I think De Bruyne is better. We'll go back. We'll go back. Midfield. We'll go back. We're moving on. We'll go back okay, to it. Okay, okay, okay. First to get sacked. Chris Wilder, Slavon Bilic, Mikel Arteta. Slavon Bilic. Okay. And worse American media pundit, Alexi Lalas or Tim Howard? Cool. Alexi Lalas for sure. Wow. Okay. I was, I was, I'm surprised by that one. Okay, Alexa that was awesome. is awful. All right, I'm going to run through them. Fucking awful. I'm going to run through them, and you'll, let me know if you want to elaborate. I'm going to give you a couple that we can talk on for a minute. Better chance of title, Spurs or Chelsea? Do you want to elaborate? Uh, I think you, you said gotta Spurs. Go the, yeah, you got to go with the manager there. Um, okay. So that's, that's why I went Spurs. I like that. More likely to go down, West Brom or Fulham? You said West Brom. Any thoughts? Again, thinking about managers, I also picked Slavon Bilic to go down. Uh, Fulham's, so just got, Fulham's got some Premier League players in that team. Adamola Lookman, Loft, Loftus-Cheek, Tosin Adarabayo, um, Alphonse Areola. They have some Premier League caliber players in that team. Granted, I, I still think they're likely to go down. Um, but West Brom have, have none. Just flat out zero Premier League talent in that team. Fair. Okay. Most likely to qualify from Europe. With Southampton, West Ham, Everton, Villa, you went with Villa. Do you actually believe mm -hmm. that? Yeah, I do. Two games in hand. Um, Southampton, obviously I, I was singing Southampton's praises earlier. Um, I actually think there's a version where they both get into Europe. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable to say both of them will. Wow, okay. Uh, worst aspect of VAR, close off sides. You said that over penalty retakes. Yeah, penalty retakes for me, like, make, like I don't know. It makes sense. It's like, you should, you know, goalie, you're not on the line. You should be on the line. Um, th that's always been an when element. A goalie, the... Before VAR, was there ever an instance of a goalie being on the line on a penalty? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, so they, they, they like always train to come off the line. It's, it, no, they're tra trained to jump forward like as the player makes contact, right? So to try and close off the angle. And then also there's a natural kind of slight jump, mini jump forward and before they jump side to side. That's always been a thing. Like you've always seen penalty retakes. It's just whether or not the assistant referees had the gall to say, "Oh, you're off your line." Like after the emotional roller coaster that is a penalty. So that's always been a thing. Um, we've never had like really minute VAR 
you know, that that's why I went with that pick because it's just a new facet of the game. Penalty retaking has always been a thing, but like the millimeter offsides and like sometimes when they show it on the screen, I don't even know like which body because the camera angle you can't tell. And then it's like which body part do they go from? Like the part of the arm that they can score from, um, and in or is it the toe? Is the image high enough? Like then they draw the line across. It's just like. I mean, I don't know. It's it's tough. I, I'm I'm the world's biggest VAR hater. So anyway, we'll move on. All right, bigger icon in UK media. You went with Grealish over Pogba. Any comments on Jack Grealish lately? We haven't really I, talked about him. I went I yeah I went icon because icon seemed positive, and I feel like in, oh, in England people love I, Grealish. I didn't necessarily mean it as positive. I just meant um, Grealish is like literally in every headline, whether it's like the front page for his performance or the back page for the gossip right now. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, he's everywhere, and obviously the I follow probably more Aston Villa accounts than I do Manchester United ones on Twitter, so I see more of that. What I will say is like, NB, and even NBC jumped in and kind of forced the Pogba narrative, and like Mino Riola's comments get on TV and shit. It's like, I I just don't care. That that I've it's such an old story to me. Whereas Grealish seems new, newer, like this past whether it's uh, like in the national media, you know, whether it's breaking protocol or some racy photos. Uh, right. You know, whatever whatever it may be for Grealish. Uh, he's probably my favorite athlete of all time, so agreed. Uh, attacking playmaker. This is the one that maybe surprised me the most. You went know, Bruno over KDB. Yeah, so Bruno, I think, is out and out better as a number 10. Um, and I think KDB is better in, like, a three-man midfield. Uh, I think K- KDB has more to offer defensively, um, has more to offer from passing that kind of starts within his own half, um, as well as kind of link-up play. I think Bruno Fernandes is much better... Uh, you know, he's a smaller, he's slightly quicker in tight spaces. He's a little bit less industrious than Kevin is. Um, and kind of, you know, gets in a little pocket. So that's why I said better attacking that's, player. Because I think he's a little bit better at number 10. That's why I used the word attacking playmaker, because I thought it might make it more interesting. Because otherwise I thought it would be easy De Bruyne. Better better. Player, yeah, better player is De Bruyne, yeah. Okay. Uh, first to get sacked, Wilder, Bilic, or Arteta, you went with Bilic. Uh, yeah, I went with Bilic. Uh, I think Harmon said the other day, our, our buddy Nick Harmon, that he's an earring. That's just never going to go down well. Um, he signed earring two is a Serbi- bad sign. Yeah. He signed a couple of like, Serbian, Croatian mates. He signed uh, Ivanovic and Kravinovic, and they've just been brutal. Um, they're playing five at the back and conceding goals like mad. At least Wilder has a little bit in his CV behind him. And Let me Arteta, ask you this. Arteta, Between Wilder and Arteta. Arteta. Between Wilder and Arteta, who goes sacked first? Uh, I think... I honestly, I feel bad, but I think maybe I'm dumb saying this. I feel like Sheffield United could ride Chris Wilder through a relegation. Is that I think crazy they could to say? Too. No, I think they could too. I think they honestly probably should. I think they owe it to him. Yeah, I think Arsenal won't. Like Arsenal, <laughs> if Arsenal are fifteenth and like uh, through the end of Christmas, then Arteta's gone. Yeah, and okay. all the stability that people that people talked about is just out. All right, this one we don't need to elaborate on. But worst American media pundit, Alexi Lalas or Tim Howard. I thought I'd throw this in there because. Our group text is just firing off uh, shit about Tim Howard nonstop when we watch these games for the weekend about how much we hate him. Any comment, or do we want to just move on? He He's bad, uh, and Hagen Botham, who they just brought on, is really, really good. Yeah, he is uh, good. And, like, Tim Howard's bad, and the, some of the lineup readings I've told you are so bad that he does, where it's like, uh, and he gets players wrong all the time. But, uh, you know, the guy, I don't know, like... He he has some decent takes every now and then, and I also respect that he was a former you know goalkeeper for a long time. Whereas Alexi Lalas, his takes are terrible all the time, um, and just like there's just no respect. So 
Tim Howard almost reminds me of like a Jason Witten right now, where it's just like a little bit robotic. He does not seem natural. At yeah, all you can tell it's not natural for him, but like I respect the grind, I respect the hustle, and like I don't love his comment, I don't love his punditry, but like if he's in the studio, it's all good. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our rapid fire section. Uh, tweet us if people like that or hate it compared to trivia. I thought that was kind of fun, but um, let's move on to predictor picks quick, and then we'll wrap this up. Yeah. Yeah, so let's wrap it up. interesting thing this week is we've got midweek fixtures. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we've got a match week, full match week there. And then we've got uh, matches coming again Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So we're just going to go through the midweek ones here on this predictor. Uh, first one is probably the biggest match of the season so far, I would say. Uh, and that is Liverpool at home to Spurs Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern. Who you got? Yeah, it's one versus two. Uh, I've got Spurs winning one now. I have Spurs up. Uh, 2-1 in this as well, away. Uh, I don't know what it is about Liverpool right now, but I just don't feel super confident in them. And um, despite Spurs drawing against Palace, I I think I, I like them in this one. I think they're going to bag a couple of goals. I'm interested that you went 1-0. Yep, I think Spurs keep a clean sheet. I think they, uh, they're really good when they know how the other team's going to play and that other team is on the front foot. Um, yeah. And Mourinho, Mourinho's been playing against Klopp now for a, for a few seasons. Um and he's a genius, so I think he'll win. Fair enough. All right, uh, next one. Fulham at home to Brighton, also Wednesday at 3. I've got Fulham winning this one 2-1. Yeah, it's a, it's a decent take. I've got 2-2, so I see a lot of goals in this game. Um, both teams are going to try and play good football, going to try and keep it on the deck, play quickly, especially through the middle. Um, you know, I, I see if, a couple. I was going to say, if I was, Fulham are going to stay up, they need points from a match like this, coming off uh, some momentum against Liverpool. Yeah. 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 Hundred percent. I. I mean. I see. And I. I see both teams playing rather similarly. And I see just kind of some, you know, goalkeeping ineptitude. Maybe a penalty here or there for a silly foul in the box. Um. And that happening at both ends. Of the, both ends of the pits. Pitch for both teams. Um. You know, Anguissa giving it away or something like that for a, for a Danny Welbeck breakaway or something. So two two. Yeah. Wow. Anguissa. That was a cheap shot. He's actually been decent. I thought. But all right. I like him as. I like him as well. Okay, um, next one. Also Wednesday at 3 p.m., West Ham at home to Palace. Yeah, so this one, uh, I went 1-0 Palace victory. It's got, to be honest, it's got nil-nil written all over it. But I, I got typed 1-0 in, Palace. I typed in nil-nil and then deleted that and went 1-1 just to make it a little more interesting. It does kind of feel like a nil-nil game. Um, I, I think this one does have a draw on it. I think you might've gone 1-0 just uh, to support the Palace there, but it feels I, like I've got one, I've got one nil because I think uh, as they do a goal over the past two weeks, it was really good against uh, Spurs and he was really good the week before um, against West Brom. Uh, and so I think maybe as gets the winner here and kind of like a quick moment or uh, you know, a curler outside the box, hit the post against Lloris. I think he, he nicks one as West Ham really gang up and overload on Zaha. Yeah. Um, yeah, they will. They'll go in hard on him. Uh, and then next, moving on to Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern, Villa at home to Burnley. I'm going to go Villa 2-0 here. Uh, feeling yeah. like Burnley are, I don't know, I think that 1-0 win against Arsenal was a bit of a fluke. I'm not reading much into that. Yeah, listen, I think I think Villa Villa has Villa has the, the, the skill and the ability to break someone down like a, a Burnley. So I think they win 2-0 as well. I had the same result, unfortunately. But um, if the key here is Villa, do Villa get a goal in the first half? Because if Villa get a goal in the first half, which they've been pretty good at starting games well, with the exception of the West Ham game, sort of really against Arsenal, for example, um, 
then you know, then I think they go on and win rather comfortably. It could be two, three, four, because then Burnley will have to take the game to them. The key is just the, the the first 20 minutes. If they can get a goal in the first 20 minutes, um, you know, maybe maybe some good wide play from Traore, he can show up or a walk-ins run in behind, then uh, it should be a good afternoon. Yeah. All right, last one, Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern, Sheffield United at home to Manchester United. Yeah, so I went an absolute thrashing. Uh, I think United go off and win 5-0, um, and that's the result that I picked, 5-0. I think it gets ugly. Uh, Blaze right now cannot figure out who to play in defense. I'm seeing players pop up that I didn't even know were on their roster, right? Like the kind of back three of like um, Robinson, Egan, and o- or Basham, Egan, and O'Connell that got him promoted. Basham's coming, coming, coming to the side. Egan's, yeah, Egan's been in and out with suspension, um, and O'Connell's still not healthy. And when that back three is rotating and they don't have the same three players, um, they're fucked. And they don't have those three guys back yet. Phil Jagielka came out for him and just looked out of his depth um, against Southampton. So I think it gets ugly. Uh, like I said, I think Fernandez will, 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 I think Fernandez will dominate that game. Yeah, I actually I got this one pegged as a Bruno Fernandez captaincy. I think for my fantasy Premier League match. Not sure who I'm playing. Hopefully not you. Uh, don't I'm playing Harman. So good no. to know. Um, well, I think a lot of our league probably listens to this podcast. At least I hope they're our friends. But um, I'm going three nil United. I do think this is a, a classic Bruno game. Uh, United will almost certainly draw a penalty in this one, if not more than one. And uh, I, I think that they bounce back well from um, not scoring against City to uh, to thrash Blades too here. So, guess that's it for this week of the predictor. Um, make sure to set your picks for the weekend though too. Uh, they'll be due some point before Wednesday, and then we'll have matches coming back again Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And I think someone on NBC actually just won. Like two people got all the scores correct and got 25k each, um, which I haven't seen happen yet. I mean, uh, I've right? I've made I've been in the money twice in this thing, and I think. Total, almost like $4. So you never know what you could win. Um, and it's definitely worth submitting the picks. I know we've still got our league leaderboard, which we didn't realize was cumulative from last season. So that's something. But um, keep playing. Keep tweeting us stuff, which no one's really been doing. Let's let's get the Twitter going again. Let's get the predictor going. Um, and if people are still listening at this point in the pod, let's let's have ourselves uh, you know a holiday season here with, with Prem coming at us. Uh, really much, pretty much every day, you know, for the next yeah. two, three weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll, we'll definitely get back with uh, with another episode or two here around the holidays. Obviously, while we're both home and watching just the ridiculous amount of football coming in, there's going to be so much to cover. We'll have to get on the pod. Um, but if you can, tweet us some questions, text us some questions. Uh, the NBC Predictor app, as a reminder, to get in the league, it's N-D-E-Q-L-8 is the league code. So just NBC Predictor, download it, get in, um, submit your picks. You can go win free cash. Um and that's all we got for this week. Yeah, Christy, anything else? Uh, follow us on Twitter at just go, or at goes to show pod, excuse me. Um, but no, that's all I got. I'm excited to watch some footy midweek while I pretend to work, uh, and that'll very much do it. Damn, same thing as always. Well, uh, just goes to show. Thanks for listening. Everybody's human. Have a great week, guys.